where God would have us be. So two great opportunities, back-to-back, pretty reasonable. We hope that you plan to do both. Thank you. Ryan, you can come on up. Fellas, um, you're feeling left out. (laughs) Just get together. I don't care. Uh, (laughs) Grab some wings. Um, Morning. Good to see everybody. Welcome back. Jeez, no one was here last week. I was so bored. (laughs) Be honest. Who showed up? Yes! We already talked. So you might have been the only one, Cameron. That's okay. Uh, hey, a couple of quick things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, do our offering right now. And so just if you're new, you can let that go by. I, I did want to say um, a couple of things as far as giving goes. Um, you are a generous church, and we not only were able to meet our budget last year, but we even surpassed it. And um, because of your generosity and your faithfulness and your uh, belief in what God's doing in and through this community. And so we just wanted to say thank you. Um, We'll have some more kind of updates on that in the next few weeks. But I just wanted to say thank you to you as a church. Um, You're you're fantastic. Um, I also wanted to highlight these Immerse books. This is um, this is the Bible, okay? People are like, is that really the Bible? Yeah, it's the Bible, but it's only about five books of the Bible. And there are probably five books in the Bible that some of you have never even touched or even thought about reading. And really, we're starting a new series today called Citizens and Exiles. And this is actually a lot of the biblical narrative around what we're going to be talking about for the next 12 weeks. The best way to do any type of reading of scripture is to read daily and to read in bigger chunks. And even more, to read in community, to read together. And so a number of our small groups um, are doing the Immerse book reading. And there's a number of other ones that have started up brand new that are doing the Immerse book reading. And um, listen, if you're not a reader, that's cool. It's actually on podcast too, so you have no excuse. You can listen to it. Um, And um, seriously, do one or the other. Do both. Um, We'd love to have you a part of it. We'd love to have you be a part of a community that's reading it. Um, And so if you'd like to do that on your connection card here, or you can go on our website, or you can go to the kiosk out here, and you can actually uh, click on grow, click on immerse group, and then give us at least an email address, and we will figure out how to plug you in to doing this. If you want to buy one of these, you can buy one of these today, okay? Ready? Are we ready? Because this is going to be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Let me pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we're excited to be back together. We're here in a brand new year, and uh, some of the things that we struggle with in our lives are still with us, and yet at the same time, there's this, uh, there's this buzz and this hope in our, in our lives that maybe things could be different, maybe we could be changed even more in 2019. I pray, God, for this church, for our community, that we would grow in our worship of you. 
and in our mission in this, in this area, that all that would be fueled by how we're transformed. And God, I, I lift up uh, other churches in our, in our city right now. Um, as we begin the year every year praying for each other as churches, God, this morning we pray for Arvada Covenant Church. And last year at this time we were praying that they would have new leadership, new, a new pastor. And God, you've brought the McDaniel family here. We pray that they would uh, bless them, bless this church as they have been such a great um, community asset in the city. Um, would you continue to grow um, their favor? So God, we, we pray these things in your name. We're asking for wisdom and clarity and that, that you would gently change us. Pray these things in your name, amen. So this morning we are um, on a journey. Uh, the reason why we are picking this series to start this, seri- this year is, is, well, you'll see as we get going, but the fact that we're on a journey as a church this year And this journey is going to be a journey that isn't really um, summed up with logos and mission statements and things like that. It's really at the heart of it, it's going to be defined by our our church and us as individuals being transformed. And um, the heart of mission, we believe, is worship. And how we worship and how we move our allegiances to what our heart normally defaults them to be to worshiping the one true God and how that then changes our lives um, as we go. So how we can be about God's will in the world together. And here's the reality. The world is changing and it's changing rapidly. And part of the, uh, the, the emphasis of this series is how do we live? How do we be followers of Jesus in a world that doesn't seem like home. And um, as our world changes, how do we discern really kind of what it means to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did in these times, in the times we find ourselves? So the heartbeat of the book of Daniel is the account of a young man who a very young man, actually, when he's taken into exile, we believe he's in between the ages of 12 and 15, a young man who finds himself in a world that is dramatically different than the world he was born into. And he's sent into exile, and no longer is Yahweh worshipped in this land, no, long, no longer do they have the temple No longer do the people of Israel have the view of the world that God is supreme and Yahweh is in control. Babylon is completely different. And through the life of Daniel, we're actually going to get pockets of wisdom and discernment and faithfulness that gives insight into how you and I can live right now. You with me? And so let me start in Daniel chapter 1, and then I'll give you a little focus on where we're headed. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, in, put it in the treasure house of his God. Now, stop right there. Typically, in, in ancient Near East culture, when one group of people did war against another group of people, it wasn't just the people fighting against each other in their, in their view. It was their gods fighting against the other gods. And so when you lost a battle in the ancient Near East, your god lost. And your god lost, and when your god lost, um, the, the articles from that worship were subsumed into the worship, the temple of the God that took over. That's a big, you gotta understand some of these things. I mean, that, that is an earth-shattering thing if you lost a battle, okay? Then it says this, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect. That used to be my life verse. You know when you would like, you know, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Handsome, showing aptitude, you get it, right? For every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve the king, serve in the king's palace. So all you single ladies, this, this is it right here. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, sorry, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So much happening here. We're not going to get all into it this week because there's so much more background to do. But needless to say, Daniel and his three friends are going through a total Babylonian immersion program. Their minds were about to be changed. At least that was the, that was the point. They were to become full-on Babylonians. Now, here's the thing. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to go uh, talk about what led up to this really briefly. And how did Daniel get here? How did the people of God get here? Because one of the most prolific themes in the scriptures, cover to cover, is the theme of exile. Exile is from the beginning to the end. And it's something that us in our culture, we don't really get. We don't understand exile. It's, it seems uncomfortable. And what I think is really important for us to understand as we head into the series is we're going to talk about exile today. Next week, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be a creative minority, which if I can't explain it, but you have to come next week. It's really important. Then we really, really get into the book of Daniel. But, but this background is really important because otherwise you're just going to read the book of Daniel from just your own Western American perspective, okay? 
And so here's a brief history of exile. And, and, if, and if you're new to the scriptures, this is going to cover a few things. Um, but it all starts in the garden. The first exile is Adam and Eve, right? What happens when Adam and Eve sin? Audience participation. Got the they get kicked out, right? They get kicked out. Listen to this. Genesis 3, 23 through 24, it says, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. This is, he's talking about Adam. To work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. So Adam and Eve in their failings, right? In their failings, they're, they're kind of an archetype for humanity, they're kind of a picture of what it looks like to be human. Their sin led them to being cast out of their home and to live in a place that was foreign to them. This was the first exile. Then we have, there's a pattern in Israel that we'll see as we get further and further. But then we have Abram. The story of Abram, we read this, listen to this, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It says this, the Lord had said to Abram, okay, go from your country your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And then he goes on to give them some promises. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And then it says this in verse four. So Abram went and the Lord, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. What did he have to say goodbye to? His land, his country, his people, and his family. 75 years old. You'd think you'd get pretty acquainted with your land, your country, your people, and your family. And God told him to go. And he said goodbye to all of that. Then we get the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers, you, a little bit further on in Genesis, Joseph's brothers kind of get mad because he's like this special kid, whatever. They throw him in the pit. Uh, they pretend like he's dead. Um, they sell him to gypsies. We always threatened our kids with that. If they acted up, long story, it's pretty funny. Um, but I'm not getting into it. Anyhow, so Joseph gets sold to these gypsies who ends up in Egypt away from his family, away from his land, away from all of that. He's in exile, right? Then we've got Moses and the people of Israel. We got them in Egypt, captive in Egypt. For 400 years, the people of Israel are captive. That's longer than our country has been in existence. They're captive in Egypt. What started out as a huge blessing being fed in, during a famine in Egypt because of Joseph turned into captivity and slavery. Moses comes along, leads the people out of Egypt, okay? They have this chance to go into the promised land. They, they, they screw that all up. They don't believe, they don't trust God, and then they are in exile in the desert for 40 years. The theme of exile just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. Over and over again. Then we have the Babylonian exile. This is the one with Daniel. 
okay? This is, this is for like nearly a thousand years, the people of Israel are actually had it pretty good. I mean, they, they started off with, uh, they started to get into uh, the dynasty with David and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and up until the birth of Jesus, there was about a thousand year stretch there. God's people for a while there had things pretty good. They were worshiping God for a little while. <laughs> they were doing everything they were supposed to do. But over time, the people forgot. Over time, the people forgot that God had blessed them so abundantly. Um, I was meeting with Dan this week, and we were talking about this theme of exile. And the idea in the book of Deuteronomy, and actually in a lot of other places in the, in the Old Testament, there's a constant theme of remember. That God is always telling the people, remember, I'm the one that blessed you. I'm the one that took you out of Egypt. I'm the one that did all these things. Remember, remember, remember. They had feasts and festivals and ways that they would worship throughout the year in the calendar to remember and remember and remember. And yet they forgot that it was God that was one who blessed them so abundantly. And the results were catastrophic. One wicked king, okay, when we get into a Immerse, anybody started reading yet? Okay, there is, okay, the first part is exciting <laughs> because it's enormous genealogy, okay? But I want to encourage you, don't skip that part. There are actual real good nuggets in there, right, Dan? You're just lying to me, right? No, there are. There's really good stuff in there. But it gets to this point in Chronicles where it talks about one wicked king after another, and the people were worshiping foreign gods for blessing and protection, and they traded the one true God, the worship of the one true God, for empty promises and walked away from blessing and protection of Yahweh. And so it says this in 2 Chronicles 36, the Lord the God of their ancestors sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary. And did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into his hands, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord of the temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the king of Persia came to power. Exile. Life-changing. Earth-shattering earth change. The book of Lamentations talks about exile. Verse 1, chapter 1. In the, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's out of Daniel. Sorry. <laughs> Lamentations, sorry. It says, after affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. 
All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. A few verses later in verse 11, it says this, all her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I am despised. So they come out of exile at some point later. Um, some of the prophets, um, we'll be talking about this, some of the prophets um, try to tell the people it's only going to last a couple of years. Don't worry. Like, don't even unpack. And Jeremiah says, they're lying to you. This is going to last a long time. You better settle down. And even when they get back out of exile, things aren't the same. I mean, they, they go from the Babylonians to the Persians. Then they're on their own. Then there's so many warring factions around them that want a piece of them. Then there's the Greeks and the Romans. And there's so much happening in the history of the people of Israel. And it continues into the New Testament. You think, oh, Jesus is here. No more exile. 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter uses Old Testament language to describe what it looks like to be the people of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. A little later, he says this, since you all, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. The idea for the New Testament church was that they were not of this place, that they were not Romans, they were not citizens of this world, they were actually citizens of heaven, and they were, in a sense, foreigners and sojourners and strangers in the land. They didn't fit. It didn't feel like home, right? And then we actually get a picture of who Jesus is in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2 tells us about who Jesus was, that he, he did not consider his place with God something to hold on to, but made himself nothing, right? Made himself a servant, made himself an exile, an exile in human form, an exile in our humanity, rejected and despised, kind of an alien to this place. And we'll talk more about that as we go forward as well. So the conclusion where I'm going with this is back to Daniel. Here, Daniel and his friends are in a place that is now under a different king. A king who worships a different god, the god Marduk. Sounds like a comic book character, I know. And I think when we think of Babylon, what we think of is a stereotyped place of like pure evil, like everything is just violent and bloody and depraved and all this stuff. But really, that wasn't the case. Yes, there was violence. They were the world's biggest superpower, huge military. They had the city of, uh, of Babylon, it had, it had two walls around it, not one, two, 20 foot thick. 20 foot high. You went through the first one, you had to get through the second one. Super safe and secure. 
technologically unsurpassed by any other group of people in the world. They had the best weapons, the best technology, the best minds. The beauty and the wealth of Babylon was unsurpassed. Have you heard of the Hanging Gardens? I mean, they still have archaeological, they're still digging this place. They're just like, they're blown away. Archaeologists are like, this is unbelievable. Secure, comfortable. And yet the authority and the ethics and the values of the place were all different. I'm going to make the case to you. Well, I'll wait a second. In the book of Daniel, we see that God is at work. At the first part of Daniel, we see the fact that God actually sent his people into exile, that it was actually God's doing, that he allowed uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, to come and take them away, that God was actually in control of that, which is, that's tough to wrestle with, right? I'm going to be honest with you. That's, 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 a, that's a tough one. We'll, we'll get into that a bit too, that God gave his people over. But then Daniel and his, and his friends, God gave them favor. We'll see that at the end of chapter one, that God gives them favor, that God gives them wisdom, that God actually sustains Daniel and his friends in exile. And in, in addition to that, we know that God ends up sustaining the people of Israel, the remnant in exile, and he fulfills his mission through his people, which is really, really cool. So they understand that heaven is not their home, but he ends up using this place of exile for them to, to learn what it looks like creatively to worship God faithfully in exile. And so what this is going to do for us is a few things. It's going to help us as followers of Jesus to ask questions like, what does it look like to be faithful to God now? What does it look like to be faithful to God now? What does it look like to live courageously here? right now. And all the issues of faithfulness and mission that we talk about, it's all about worship. It's all about allegiance. It's all about who we worship and why we worship. And part of that uh, realizing that we're going to have to go through is that our cultural moment has changed. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, um, if you're of the older generation, my generation and older, the things that we're going to talk about in this series are actually going to be really hard. I'm going to be honest with you. They're going to be really hard because it's not everything we've experienced in our growing up. Maybe you, you found the Lord 20, 30, 40 years ago. Things have really changed some of you, and this is what I love about our church, we are a multi-generational church. Some of you who are more of the millennial crowd, I'm not about to make fun of you, but you experience the world differently. You are asking different questions about scripture and about faith and what it looks like to be living out your faith following Jesus here and now. Well, we're going to talk about history. We're going to talk about history of Christianity in America. We're going to talk about all those things in the next couple of weeks because God uses exile in the life of Israel to remove from them the things that they trusted in. Okay? They no longer had a nation with a king, they no longer had a temple. 
And, and those things just reinforced and validated some things in their life. So they're stripped of all their cultural institutions. They're, they have no king, no temple. But God reminded them that he was still sovereign and still with them in captivity. And he was refining their faith. Take a look at this quote from a guy named Rick McKinley. He's actually a pastor of a church in Portland. Um, tremendous guy, great author. He wrote this. Exile was a period when the promises of the past and the shape of the future had to be evaluated in terms of a new experience without the traditional self-validating structures such as the monarchy, the land, and the temple. Meaning, they lost their land, they lost their king, they lost their temple. And yet, for every other group of people that would lose those things... The worship of their God, their king, and their land, they were done. But as we'll see in the pages of Daniel, God is very active and moving to the point where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, actually acknowledges that the God of Daniel is the true God. That is unheard of in the ancient Near East. And so and for, for the exiles, exiles stripped the people of Israel of all these foundational things. And the prophets spoke words of, of assurance despite all the things they're experiencing. God had not abandoned his people. He was still with them in their exile. So next week we're going to talk about our present moment. Because if you haven't noticed... Our present moment has changed. And if you just want to know, here's a little quick example to how that works. I have a friend of mine. His name is Monty Newton. He used to be a pastor of a local church over here, and he retired. But in his last year of retirement, I would try to spend as much time with him as I could, right? I just, like, get, him, get advice, you know, how do I do this for a long time? And because um, it's hard. And, and he's like, listen, he's like, you guys have, you young guys have it so bad. I'm like, what? what are you saying? He's like, no, listen. He's like, when I was a pastor in Kansas, um, at, at a, I guess a big town in Kansas, I don't know if those exist, but like <laughs> he had a pastor uh, discount card. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I was issued from the, from the actual like chamber of commerce. He was issued this laminated pastor discount card. And he'd go out to breakfast and flash that thing, and they're like, oh, pastor, 15% off, you know? I'm <laughs> like, you can't do that now. <laughs> like, I'm, like I, people ask me all the time, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm in nonprofit work, you know? Because it's people, like, the conversation shuts down. So things have totally changed. And so what I'm arguing Today is something that's going to be hard for us to wrestle with, and you're going to, we're going to argue it for a couple of weeks, so maybe you'll, maybe not. What I'm arguing is that to follow Jesus is to experience exile. That part of what it means to follow Jesus means you're a foreigner, you're a stranger, you're not of this world any longer. You are a citizen of heaven, and you are an exile here. 
Jesus even said this in John 17. If you read his prayer for the people who wouldn't come to know him, you are in this world, but not of this world. Exile is the place where we live out our faith in Jesus. Exile is the place where, we, where our allegiance to Jesus is practiced and lived out. And what you do, what do you do when the institutional structures that supported your faith are gone or slowly crumbling away? You can do one of three things. First one is you can just assimilate into culture. So when you get pushed into exile, you can just, but that was the goal of exile. Babylonian, I mean, they were, Nebuchadnezzar was smart. He split people up all throughout the empire and just mixed them in with his own people. So that after 5, 10, 20 years, what? You're one of them. You're one of us now. You're not going to band together. He didn't put them all in their own city so that they could, like, form a plan, you know, and, 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 and figure out how to overthrow King Nebs. No, they, de- they didn't do that. He split them all up all throughout the empire so they would slowly change, right? Assimilating into culture, adopting their view of life, adopting their sexual norms, Adopting their gods, changing what satisfies their heart into what satisfies the heart of the people around them. Conforming. That's one way you could do it. The next way you could do it would be you could like fight back. You could fight the power, right? You could uh, take back, you know, take, we got to take back the country. You hear that all the time in political ads, Right? Um, fear and all this apocalyptic language and, and, and you can categorize people as they're in or they're out or whatever. Here's the thing. All the book, uh, Daniel, there's a bunch of apocalyptic language towards the end of it and none of it is based on fear. None of it. And there's a third way. And the third way is this, to worship faithfully, to contribute to the good, and to resist idols at all cost. To worship faithfully, to contribute to the good, and, to wor- and, and resist idols at all, all costs. And the question is, we gotta ask ourselves, did Daniel assimilate? Did Daniel fight back? What did Daniel do? What did, what did Daniel and his friends do? Listen to the instructions that Daniel was given from the prophet Jeremiah as we close. Jeremiah says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all of those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He got a letter to him. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city for which I have carried you off to in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage you 
you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is, and then Jeremiah jumps into, you're gonna be there for a while. And he gets into a little bit more of some of the, the instructions. So here's what we will see in the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends serve the king, Nebuchadnezzar, faithfully. <laughs> they serve him faithfully. We will see that they are a great asset to the king. They do not retreat or disengage. They participate in the shaping of Babylon. And at the same time, they refuse to bow down to the cultural idols of Babylon. They walk in this really intense, tight line. Faithful to their God, Yahweh. Blessing the king and the people of Babylon. And they draw the line in weird spots. Here's what we're going to see. This is so amazing. In the first chapter, the second part of the first chapter, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Daniel, they're, they're, they're given food from the king's table, which had to be rad food. I'm just thinking it's probably awesome. But it didn't fit with their worship of Yahweh, right? And they're given new names. What's interesting is they're given these names that actually mean things about the gods that are worshipped. Daniel's given the name Belteshazzar, which is one of the gods of Babylon. And he's like, that's cool. Call me whatever you want. <laughs> but I ain't, I ain't eating that. Right? I'm like, dude, Daniel, have a steak. Have a nice cabernet. But don't let him change your name, right? He's like, no, I see it differently, Ryan. I see it totally differently. I don't care what they call me. I don't care about my name, but I care about my God's name. And so they walk this line, and they're more inter interested in, in protecting God's name, not there. And we're always trying to argue that followers of Jesus, it, it, it's more than just praying a prayer to follow Jesus. And it may begin there, but following Jesus requires us to live a life of, of actual faithfulness now. And, and repentance is, isn't just like, oh, I screwed up here and I made this sin and all that, whatever. It, repentance is about changing your mind and your outlook on your life, that there's a new king and a completely, a, that requires a complete change in my allegiance. That's what repentance is. Listen to this quote. I got two quotes to finish today. There's a guy named Lee Beach, and this is a great book if you want um, to read it. It's called The Church in Exile. And this is kind of a taste of where we're going. Exile implies more than, than simple geographical location. It can be a cultural and spiritual condition as well. It is the experience of knowing that one is an alien and perhaps in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own. So it's this idea of like, hey, this is a different place. I need to wrap my mind around the fact that I'm not from here, that I don't belong here, right? And restoration, I'm not going to lie, this series could be pretty jarring to us, could be pretty jarring to you in the sense that, well, if I'll be honest, I'm trying to convert you. And I'm trying to convert you to a different way of seeing your allegiance to Jesus as you live in a Marilonia. 
Because this is a superpower that is very wealthy and there's a lot of beauty and it's safe and secure and yet there's a subtle inertia, right? That pulls us into a different way of thinking. And I'm not trying to be anti-America. I'm just saying this is an empire. We live in the strongest world power in the history of humanity. And we're called to follow Jesus in it. We're not called to be it. We're called to be citizens of heaven and foreigners here. That's not anti-American. That's allegiance to Jesus. And so the reason why I say that is the theme we've been talking about for years around here is that we are people of the future and that our future shapes our present, right? So one last quote, and we'll wrap this up. This is Lee Beach again. He says, exile is, in its very essence, is living away from home. This is the heart of the Christian faith. As we live away from our ultimate eschatological, that means future kind of idea, community. Furthermore, exile is a result of understanding ourselves as a distinct people. We are strangers in the world. This distinction is defined by our relationship with the supreme God and is rooted in God's call for us to live our lives in accord with this relationship, often in ways that will come in in, in contact with the dominant, uh, dominant culture, meaning there's going to be some things that we don't participate in because we're followers of Jesus. There's going to be things that we participate in because we're, we influence because we're followers of Jesus. There's going to be things that we, we push into a culture that they don't have. And there's going to be things that we actually need to stand up against. And we're going to see all of that in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, scripture, and the prophets all call us to live with a certain orientation in our mind, and that is one of exile. And if that's uncomfortable to you, if that's frustrating to you, if that goes against everything that you've experienced as an American Christian for the last 30 years, I totally get it. Like, I, I get it. And I'm going to get emails. <laughs> It's okay. I want us to talk about this. This will require an obedience from us that is different than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And the response to living in obedience to King Jesus will ultimately mean exile. It's out of